Hopefully, this is the last time you hear this ad, because with Chime Checking Account, features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts, or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals 24. That's chime.com goals 24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com slash disclosures for details. Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Chews Advanced. From the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beat brand for heart health support, the new Superbeats Heart Chews Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Superbeats Heart Chews Advance are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Superbeats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's Radio, B-E-E-T-S dot com, code DEAL. Beautiful name. I don't think I've ever met anybody with that name. Is that a family name? It's like the Bible. Oh, duh. <laughs> duh. <laughs> Did not even put that together. Thank you. <laughs> so how, how I am on my religion right now. But anyway, so, I mean, did you, did you grow up pretty religious or is that uh, family? Religious for a bit, then stepped away, you know, life happened, then came back to it. And then now getting really back into it after losing my dad last year. So that was one of the hard things um, I went through. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, was it just, uh, did you expect it or was it unexpected? Unexpected. And it was medical negligence. So Ooh, yeah. Of, yeah. So. I lost my stepfather four years ago and it was, unexpected it was uh, it was pretty tough but yeah you know we get out of it it is because we were like two peas in a pod like that was my road dog i tell people like whenever my husband didn't want to go to the malls or do like stuff i'm like hey dad do you want to come go to the mall he's like yeah sure you want to go to bands journeys like what do you want to do and i'm like okay so it's safe to say you're uh you know daddy's girl i guess yes hands down <laughs> Nice. Um, well, let's talk. Let's start getting into your book. Uh, so, you wrote a book. 
what, what was the motivation behind this thing? Definitely frustration, just tired of being a number to the corporation, a failure to just really not only be seen, but be heard. Um, just constantly trying to fit in into the good old boys club. My background's oil and gas. So I spent 15 years in corporate America, 12 years in oil and gas and energy. Texas is very, very conservative. There's not a lot of women in the oil and gas industry. And so one, you're a woman in a male dominated field. You're already a minority. Then you put into into the equation race and then another added layer is I'm first generation American so my dad was South American and my mom is Caribbean so that's another layer because you're like one you don't sound black or I've had people say oh you're black and I'm like oh I didn't realize it really I'm black (laughs) like and just like different things or people have you don't sound like somebody from the south you don't sound like somebody from Texas or just different microaggressions or just my hair. Cause like up until February, I would always straighten my hair, like do these Dominican blowouts, which was like a natural way of straightening my hair. And it has a lot of heat. And then in February, I was like, you know what? My hair is naturally curly. Like I'm just going to start wearing my hair. If I just want to hop out the shower, turn my swag on, put some conditioner in and go, that's what I'm going to do. And so just, the, just the pressures of not only society, but also corporate America and the BS behind it, because you want to talk about diversity, equity and inclusion, but then you don't really see it in the organization or there's a lack thereof. And then if you say something too much, you're seen as aggressive or the angry black woman when in actuality, I'm just very passionate about my subject matter. Um, area that I'm working in. So just one day, um, my boss and I had just had, you know, a bit of exchange for words where it was just my, my boiling and breaking point. And so I just like literally pulled out my phone in the performance review and I just wrote down chocolate drop in corporate America. And I wrote like a few sentences because I was like, I'm either going to explode and tell her something that I can't take back, or I'm just going to pull out my phone and just write something down. And so I wrote that down and that was the book. And then it started from there. Right there. showing. We'll show that on YouTube too. So right there, there's the cover for it. So how did you get started? Let's go back a little bit. So how did you get started in oil and gas? I mean, was this just something you had a passion for or you just, you just no. Um, so both of my brothers were actually in oil and gas. One's an engineer and one works offshore. I, my whole plan was to go to medical school So after I had got laid off back in 2009, after working at the cancer center, I needed to find a job for this co-op program in order to meet my requirements. So I pretty much went to my teacher and I was like, Hey, I don't have a job anymore. Like I need, and she's like, well, you need to find something if you want to pass this class. And I was like, okay, what am I going to do? So then I just started looking and there was a small corrosion company that was British ran. And so she's like, oh, you should apply there. And I was like, I really don't want to do that. And so I just applied and I fell into oil and gas, started to build a passion for it. I kind of liked the fact that it was versatile in a sense with some of the different guys that I was meeting. So I was like a young woman in a guy's field and I'm very like blunt and direct so I got in where I fit in I don't wear my heart on my sleeves 
And then I saw that, okay, I could really, I could really make this work for me because I'm a woman and they need some of my skills. So they need me to soften it up, but then I also could help them, you know, build up or whatnot. Cause I could do event planning. I could do other different things. So fell into it, stayed at that company for four and a half years, grew from the bottom to the top. Once I made it to the top, I had hit that salary cap and I plateaued in my career. So then I was like, okay, you know what? I need to go swim with the big boys. So I started applying for fortune 500 companies and I went to go work for one and I don't disclose the name just for proprietary reasons. And when I got there, they're like, hey, uh, we don't have a technical role, so you'll have to start over. And I'm like, did you not see my resume? Like, I was an HSC manager, so I focus on health, safety, and environmental. And you want me to be an admin, an administrative assistant? Like, I'm not your wife at work. I'm not going to fetch you your lunches. I'm not going to push coffee or anything. So then in that instance, I had to like literally learn how to humble myself. And my faith was being questioned because I was like, God, I don't understand why you want me to go from like right here to right there. But then I was like, you know what? Let me just get my foot in the door. I prayed about it. The company is branded. So I was like, okay, if I ever want to leave, then I'm branded by association. This company speaks for itself. Ended up taking that role, stayed there for four and a half years as an admin, which it was just heart-wrenching. But some of my best guy friends that I met in the industry, we still talk to this day. Like they came to my wedding, they know my husband, like we could chill, shoot the breeze, all of that stuff. But had I not humbled myself and taken a lower role and then just really learn more about the administrative side, working for a big corporation, I wouldn't have got to where I am now because it afforded me the ability to like truly network within the company. And then I went on to do um, raw material coordination for polypropylene, which is a form of plastics. Did that for 11 months. Then my family dynamics changed because I got engaged at the time. Then I was like, I can't commute two hours one way and two hours another way. There's no way I'm going to do that. So then I went back to headquarters and I landed a role in trade regulations and compliance coordination where I built the entire program from the ground up. And it was hard because I was like, I don't know anything about trade regulations. My degree at that point was supply chain and logistics and technology with double minors in purchasing and organizational leadership and supervision. And I'm like, God, this was not what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a pediatrician, white coat, driving, driving a souped up car, no backseat riders, just living the best life. And now I'm in oil and gas. But I say that to say sometimes you have your blueprint of your life, but then life throws lemons at you and you just definitely have to learn how to make lemonade and pivot. So you either get in where you fit in or get tossed to the side. Yeah, I like how you said that. Uh, I get that 100%. You know, I got my bachelor's in physical education and my master's in sports management. And now I work, now, and now I work in IT. So <laughs> I, I totally get it. <laughs> so, yeah, how, how it happened that way, it's just, I don't know. But just like you said, get in where you fit in, I guess. But, but the, that's interesting. Can we stay there for a little bit? Sure. Do you, do you train people? Uh, you mean IT or? No, not IT, uh, like <laughs> with your backgrounds, um, physical education, and then you have another degree. So I'm like, that kind of, because you just said you came from the gym. So I'm yeah, like, oh. Uh, yeah, so um, I'm a CrossFitter. I'm one of them guys. 
And, oh, I see it by your shirt. Yeah, and so, uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, I do coach a couple classes a week. I did. I used to have my certification in CrossFit, but I let it expire now. But I still do train at our gym or just train other people, and I try to compete here and there. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I'm trying. You know, I got. I, I keep a full schedule with it, but yeah. I mean, I don't coach as much as I used to, but yeah. And it, but it's okay. a it's a group class setting, and I don't really do individual coaching, but. So I don't know. That might be a longer answer than what you were looking for, but yeah. Yes, it's cool. <laughs> I mean, you know, the goal was was to become a PE teacher, and I wanted to coach, you know, basketball or track or just whatever. And kind of just what you just said, it just didn't work out that way for me. So I was the guy that always had the interview but never got the job. So mm, yeah, on. I've been there. Yeah, moved <laughs> on and finally found a job, and it was in a completely different direction. So, but yeah, so you, you know how it is, just like you said. Yeah. Because it's like no after no after no. And I'm like, there is nothing wrong with me. Like, I don't understand why I'm not getting these jobs. Like, I'm qualified. And I was like, you know what? No is just the next opportunity or new opening. Like, you know, I'm an asset. So I'm like, I'm not going to see myself as a liability. So I just have to change my mindset. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Yeah. Um, Have you always just had a positive mindset like that? Or is this something you learned from like applying and learned from you know, changing your ways, like when you were dealing with those microaggressions and. It took me a while to get there. I definitely had to put in the work. My dad was super, super positive, like zero to 100, like Drake. Um, yeah. so. <laughs> oh, I love it. And I think what really helped me was like just going through a depression at a young age, whenever I was a victim of bullying in high school, like over 11 years ago. So when I hit that rock bottom place and I went through the pit or I tell people the darkest point in my life, I had to learn how to, you know, just fall in love during that period. And I fell in love with myself. I learned how to love me despite how the world saw me. I learned how to love me for what the creator made me to be. And I had to stop taking other people's insecurities and projecting them onto me because that wasn't conducive to my mental health, physical health or clarity. And one thing that just really helped me was like working out, like getting plugged in with like a life group, like people where you could do life with and they're traveling at a different wavelength um surrounding myself with positive people people who aren't just negative and etc so the external factors so I had to do the internal work and then once I was once I was done doing the internal work and I still do some of it then I started to do the work on the external work and I was like I'm not that type of girl that wants to get all dressed up and all fancy I just want to wear some chucks some bands throw on a baseball cap a t-shirt and just kind of hang out like I've always been that type of chick that just kind of like was one of the guys but I was like you do know I'm not a guy but I like to do different stuff like that y'all like to do so just finding that balance so I wasn't like in with the girl girls and I wasn't in with the guy guys so it was like I was creating my own lane but all of that came from me realizing what do I like how do I see myself what's important to me and I'm like you know what? Screw the critics, screw the naysayers, screw, screw what people are saying about you because they're not paying your bills. They're not keeping a roof over your head. They're not putting food on your table or clothes on your back. So why are you allowing those people to rent space in your head for free? Uh, I'm a, I'm a Vans guy myself. <laughs> I, I got my Vans on, but they look like sneakers. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so can we talk about the bullying a little bit? Is that okay? Yeah. So you said uh, it was started at 11 years old? 
Uh, it started 11 years ago 11. when I was in high school. Okay. <laughs> and it was just because of just you had some, you know, some screwed up people at your school that just couldn't get over their own egos and just thought it was they couldn't control their situation. So that's how they exerted themselves on the bullying others. Yeah. And then in um, Spanish, because I was always really good in Spanish and I was excelling in comparison to those who native tongue was Spanish. And I never really told my dad, told people that my dad spoke Spanish. And one day the teacher's like, how are you surpassing like Mexican-Americans, the Latinos or the Latinas? And I was like, well, actually, my dad is South American and he speaks four languages. So when I get home, like my dad and I work on Spanish because it's so important that you're bilingual. And I was like, I'm Afro-Latina. And so I was like, I want to, you know, my dad does all the stuff. So then she's like, oh, I need to meet your dad. So the kids just really started picking on me. The teacher and my dad just really had a good connection. Then she goes from asking me about that to like talking to my dad. Then they begin to build a bond and a friendship. Then my dad is making enchiladas for the class. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I was like, we are not about to feed these people. No ham, no cheese, no turkey. No way, dad. Like, do you not know how rude these kids are? And so that was like one incident. Another incident was that, you know, different like where you live in the area if you are the only minority person and you walk different you talk different or whatnot then people start to see you as the oddball out whenever you're not even trying to be odd you're just trying to make friends and fit in and just really hang out and get to know people but they can't see past the superficial stuff so that's another thing then just doing different things that I was doing like I was in choir and then I just got out of choir because I was like you know what this is not for me like I'm, I'm trying to make some money I felt like Cardi B before Cardi B was popular I was like I'm trying to make money moves and so that's when I like ended choir I didn't get a Letterman ja- jacket and I told my mom you're gonna sign this paper because I'm not going back to this class because these people are jerks and I'm gonna do a co-op program so all of those things were compounding and whenever you're in high school you have so many pressures the pressures to fit in the pressures to be like then who am I gonna hang out with who am I gonna talk to and all those things are just weighing you down and then I'm like why am I giving a flapping flying saucer what these kids think Flapping flying saucer. <laughs> I've heard that. But I like that. I'm working on not saying swear words, especially now having nieces and nephews because they check me. <laughs> yeah, they'll definitely do that. That's for sure. They'll check everything. So, yeah. So that was that. I hope it answered your question because it, it really was hard because. I was looking externally. So I was looking for validation in all the wrong places instead of looking for validation within me and just being comfortable in my own skin, my own body and my own tone. Yeah. So, you know, most people who decide to bully others, it's just because in my opinion, they just have weak character. And, and also there might be some other stuff going on at home that nobody ever knows about. You know, they might be getting abused at home or, uh, from a sibling or a parent, you just never know. But I'm still not saying it's uh, or saying that's okay, and they shouldn't go projected onto others. But um, I guess my next question is, or what I wanted to ask you about. So I just finished the book, or I finished maybe a couple months ago. It's called the uh, the coddling of the American mind. Have you uh, mm. have you read it? You know, no, I haven't read it, but it sounds interesting. <laughs> so it, it touches on basically. Uh, so I don't I don't want to say kids, but I guess students of all ages, even in college now, and just talk about their growth and like how 
you know, helicopter parents and their parents have protected them so much that when they do get bullied or they face these type of, you know, uh, bad issues in their lifetime, so they don't know how to react. So their first thing is just to, you know, get scared or run away and, or just, I don't know, just basically that they don't know how to defend themselves. So I guess basically what I was trying to get at, maybe this is a long question. I'll get on with it. That do you think that type of bullying, like what you went through helped you become the person you were today? I mean, I'm not saying it should have went happen, but do you think there was like some reasoning to go through that type of situation? Most definitely, because I, as I look back on life, I think about all the things that happened to me. They also happened for me because had I not went through bullying, I wouldn't know how to address it with my now nieces and nephews who were faced with bullying and they're faced with bullying because they're not all the way African-American. Like two of them are half white. My sister's kids are half white. My brother's kids are half Indian. And my other brother, his um, daughter is truly African-American. Her mother's from Africa. And now since I went through that, I could help my niece and nephew whenever they're faced with different problems so when I was going through it it wasn't it wasn't nice it wasn't fun but now like having that experience it allows me to help other people who were bullying um let them learn how to practice self-care self-love self-awareness another thing that I learned from that from bullying is like sometimes we can't always internalize everything we have to learn how to talk about and find a trusted source where you can confide in that individual to help you work through what is going on because there's a lot of kids who are bullying who end up taking their lives And their parents never even know about it. But you have to understand who is your child and understand their body language, understand their mannerisms. And if something changes with your child, you should ask them because sometimes children are crying out for help internally and they may never show it externally. So to answer your question, um, yes, I am happy that I was bullied now, especially looking back. I wasn't proud of it when I was in it, but it did, it did shape me to the woman that I am today because I learned not that people are always going to say things, even in our adulthood, because I face bullying in corporate America. But those people are not the ones that are conducive to your lifelong journey because people come into your life for various reasons and various seasons. And not everyone that comes into your life is going to be there for the lifelong journey. Nicely said. I agree with that. (laughs) So, you know, I read there's a statistic that I don't know where I picked it up at. It was probably on another podcast, but it was like 87% of the time if – you know, a bystander saw bullying and they actually said like, hey, that's not okay. You know, like, hey, why don't you just stop that or whatever. Most time it stopped. Did you ever encounter a situation like that where somebody came by and was like, hey, you know, stop treating her like that or stop saying that type of stuff to her? Yeah, I had a few friends that stood up um, for me and one of them were still friends today. And um, it's just amazing because when I look at how far he's came with his life and how he um, – yeah, it's just amazing <laughs> when I think about that, friend. You know, and just kind of what you just said before that, you know, even with social media now and that uh, type of yeah. – was it cyberbullying? Cyberbullying, yeah, yeah. That what most young girls seem to, in the corner of this book, seem to take it way you know harder than what most guys are. But, I mean, there is it with the males too. But, you know, it's just the projection of what, I guess you could say, what social media wants – you to do and what say what you're supposed to look like and just you know if you do something wrong then all of a sudden you're attacked on social media by one person then they get their gang of friends up there and you're being attacked <laughs> by people you don't even know anymore and then I could see definitely see where it would weigh in on somebody 
So one thing that I like to say about social media is one, be mindful of what you put on social media because that stuff never goes away Two, um, I tell people welcome to the blog party all the time, meaning um, I'm not going to tell you I'm going to block you. I'm just going to block you. Keep it moving. Keep it pushing. Number three is if you ask yourself, Hey, if this person is projecting their insecurities on me on social media, but they will never have the the balls, the guts, the cojones to say this to me in person, then they're really a coward. So they are looking at their um, deficiencies and the things that they're not happy about and projecting it onto you. So that's a weak minded person and you can't allow them to take power over you or take control over you. You have to see yourself for who you are. And one way that I tell people that you can build up your strength and your confidence is do your affirmation statements, say all the incredible things that you are. So talk about, I am strong. I am beautiful. I am intelligent. I am courageous. And I go over the list of of affirmations and start to see yourself the way that you want to be perceived because when you start to see yourself that way you build yourself up more and more and more you're building yourself up internally and as you are building yourself internally you start to envision it and then as you start to envision it those visions become realities and then whatever whatever else that those people say about you they're not even going to matter because you know who you are the biggest thing that people who are victims of bullying fail to learn sometimes is who they are so what does that look like and I and I talk about that at the end of my book you have to have your discovery exercise who am I and I wish that they would start teaching that in schools because a lot of times they ask you what do you want to be when you grow up but they never even take time to ask who do you want to be and the who is more powerful than the what the what is a way for them to come find you and place you in a box and none of us were born in a box we don't live in a box and when we're going to be in a box is whenever we're checked out of this world if we choose to be buried six feet under or if we want to be cremated but the moral of the story is you're not in a freaking box so don't let somebody put you in a box and try to contain you man you're killing it tonight i like that <laughs> i'm just really passionate like this stuff just it makes me just want to go ham sometimes <laughs> uh, I, say, I want me to run through a brick wall right here but you know, and I like, like I said, I like how you said that too. But you know, me growing up, when I think about my high school, you know, and I, I don't want to say career, but my high school, when I went through high school, was that, you know, I, I was never really asked anything. You know, who do you want to be, or what? What I, I don't even know if I got asked what do you want to be, but really, yeah, it just seems kind of just you know, you went to a guidance counselor and they looked at our grades and they were just like, hey, so what are you doing after you graduate? And he's like, I don't know. I mean, so I mean, I don't, it could be a failure to our edu- public education system where I grew up. I'm not saying for all public education, but or I could just had a bad guidance counselor. I don't know, but I just remember graduating and I still had no clue what I wanted to do or what I, you know, or who I wanted to be. I was just lost, and you know that was part. Of, you know that was part of the reason I even went and got my master's, just because even after college, I still, you know, I thought I wanted to teach PE like what we were talking about earlier, but. You know, most of my roommates, were all, my, all my roommates and friends, they actually moved on to bigger cities and got jobs and were actually starting to get married and have kids. And like, I just didn't want to be a loser. And I thought I was just <laughs> being a loser. So I guess I thought if I went and got another degree, that it would help benefit me. And I'm not saying I'm not regretting it by any means. I'm glad I did it. But at that time, I was like, I felt like that was the only reason. Just I'll just go get a master's and just kind of fell into the first thing I, that was, I thought was related to physical education in some sense. So, yeah. 
So question, do you have kids? No, nope. Never been no. married. No kids. Just a single dad of two, two wiener dogs. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you. So if you had kids and learning what you know now, how would you impact them whenever it comes to public education? Would you go the public education route or would you go the private school route? Because sometimes I feel like our education system does fail certain people because they just teach surface level stuff. And I'm like, you don't even need that crap. Like I, I had this conversation with with my cousin yesterday, she's 18, you know, doesn't really know what she wants to do. And I'm like, you should do what you're passionate about. Cause if you're passionate about something, the money is going to come. But if you do it for the money, you're going to hate it because I was all about chasing the bag, securing the bag. And when you get those jobs, you hate it. Like money is not everything. Yes. You need it to survive, but. Yeah. But if it takes a pact on your mental, you know, your mental health and it's not worth it, you know, uh, I mm-hmm. haven't, you know, this might, I'll answer your question in a minute, but I have an uncle who always, you know, or he still does he, to this day even presses me about how I should go into, you know, more of the trades work just because that's where the money is right now. Just because there's so many trades that are not actually, or that job's just almost becoming obsolete. I don't want to say obsolete, but there's nobody going into that field anymore, I guess, but in this area, at least that I'm aware of. So he's trying to push me into take on a, that second part of my, you know, another job, just doing, you know, brick laying and stuff. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to do that type of work. You know, I mean, I get it. You'll make a lot of money, but I would not be happy waking up doing construction work all day long. <laughs> so, I mean, especially when I can just sit at a nice desk in a decent office, you know, and just hang out all day. But um, to go back, as far as, you know, if I had kids, and I've thought about this, if public versus private versus even homeschooled even. And, <laughs> and, and you know, my where I went to school at, we went, our high school was 8th through 12th, no middle school, and K through 7th elementary. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we're real small. And, um, you know, I don't believe I got the best education there was. And I don't, I think I would have some friends who would say that too compared to other counties in our state. But... You know, there was a lot of good experience as far as like we were talking about earlier, if you go through hardships or, you know, making friends and I would want that social interaction, I think, for my kids. But, you know, I mean, I don't have a lot of stats and figures to weigh in, like, is one public better than private? But I think, I I guess they would still get that at a private school, but also Mm -hmm. you got to think about, you know, I don't know how much a private school in education is cost per year. But yeah, um, it definitely costs more than public education. Public is free, private, you pay and then you could decide where you want it, like what area you want to take your kids to. What are the demographics? And that's also another thing to figure in, like where who do you want your kids to assimilate with? Who do you want them to mesh with? And, and I don't have kids, but I think about these things. <laughs> I mean, we, you might be planning on it, though. Right. So yeah. that's kind of why you are thinking about it. And I keep it in the back of my head. But. Just because it, you know, it's not a hundred percent no, but yeah, it could happen somewhere down the road. Who knows? But um, you know, there was something else. I don't know if it's part of that book I read or another study or whatever. But you know, it's, I think it was in San Francisco. All these kids were, um, you know, committing suicide just because their parents were, you know, big. They worked in Silicon Valley, so the pressure mm-hmm. of them not being able to live up to their that standard and getting that type of job, they just couldn't handle it. So I think they were jumping off bridges. And yeah, and I forgot how many years ago this was and when it was done. It was probably not a study. It was just it was probably in the news. I don't know why I said study, but um, 
so if, you know, I feel like now just by talking this out that if I sent my kid to a private school that, you know, most higher income families probably would do that with their children. And I wouldn't want that, you know, like I wouldn't want that pressure on my child, but yeah. I would want them kind of what, what exactly what you're saying, you know, do what you want to do. Find out what you want to do and pursue it. You know, if you don't need education for it, I mean, look at all these YouTube and TikTok stars now. I mean, oh, yes, that was like the biggest debate yesterday because they were telling us and I was like I'm not old y'all like I'm only 30 and she's like and I said yes I'm older than you like I'm not 18 but I'm not like you know just out here and she's like oh I just want to skate like I did and I said yeah that's cool but you still still need to have a backup plan she was telling me about TikTok and different and it was cool to hear different perspectives because when I have younger people like I'm open and receptive to what they're saying because they know you know, more about the text of what's coming up. Like, you know, they grew up in technology and stuff. My age, we had to learn the different stuff coming by a different way. And I was like, yeah, that's cool or whatnot, but you still need to do something to differentiate, to stand out. And I was like, for example, Ryan Toys, you know, the little boy, all he did was like review toys oh, yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. I didn't even know who this kid was until my nephew was like, hey, I'm going to show you this. I was like, what are you watching? Because I just, I kind of monitor when I have them and I'm like oh okay and then I started looking him up I was like oh my gosh this kid is worth this amount and all he started doing was reviewing toys now he has like boxers underwear stuff in five below stuff in target just a whole conglomerate of things and I'm like okay we're definitely trending up into social media and other stuff like that but you also have to be mindful sometimes what about like for example when Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp went down all your contacts all your stuff went down so what would be your plan b yeah i would have a plan b (laughs) (laughs) i mean just when it went down i mean so you know i have a theory that did you say you're 30 years old yeah 30 i'm 30 how old are you 35 okay 35 (laughs) (laughs) but um you know i I was thinking about this the other way i don't know when i was thinking about this but that you know when i grew up or we both grew up i was kind of in the the coming of the internet almost you know just, I remember AOL and some messenger and MSN yeah. and all that. So like <laughs> I wasn't completely glued to actually having an iPhone in front of me. I don't think the iPhone was invented until what, 2007, eight, nine, six, who knows? Somewhere around there. Yeah. I can't even remember. So, but, and so like, I feel like I, I'm, I'm a, I mean, I'm an addict like everybody else, I guess. I mean, I catch myself just scrolling through social media mindlessly, especially Instagram. But I guess my point is that I don't feel as an addict as younger generations that they have to almost feel like they have had to some type of screen in front of them at all times. And that that's where I guess my point is that I'm getting, I get my balance from because some days I'll just turn my phone off and leave it off for 30 minutes to an hour and just go hang out. But then of course I get back and I let me catch up. And, (laughs) but again, yeah, I wouldn't have a backup plan. You know, I can barely, I, I was thinking about the other day. I just know, I think my brother's number, my mom's number. But after that, I wouldn't have any more numbers I could even remember. So I don't even know who I'd call. You know? What what about the GPS? Do you know how to get around without the GPS? So I can get around yeah. I can, <laughs> so I can get around my town and, you know, a few surrounding areas pretty well without it. But, you know, if I you know, Charlotte's about two and a half hours from me. So if I head down that way, I'm always turning on GPS. Um, and even, you know, there's another si- bigger city that's kind of about 40 minutes away from me, but I'm always checking GPS just for the traffic reports and just saying, all right, I need to take this route. So if I, you know, I mean, and I was actually talking to my mom the other day, we were having breakfast and I asked her, I said, Hey, so when we were little, 
you know, how did y'all get around town? Because like, we went to Disney World one time. I forgot how old I was. I was like, how did y'all figure out how to do it? You know, and it's like, she's like, well, we had a, I guess we had a roadmap or a road atlas then. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and then, you know, then we were talking about, well, I guess that's what people did. And then from then on, like, I remember printing out MapQuest directions. Yes. <laughs> and that caused a lot of fights in a car. I remember that. Just, like, you know, somebody be driving and you just tell, didn't tell them to turn right or whoever was navigating. That would cause a lot of fusses. And then you'd be lost instantly. So, yeah, I still use GPS, like, just to check up stuff. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah, me too. But, like, now I've learned the importance because, like, if something were to happen to my phone, I was like, I need to learn these streets without GPS. And that's one thing I remember my dad instilled in me because, like, I remember one time I called him. I was like, he's like, where are you? I was like, I don't even know. Like, I felt like, you know, those chicks in the movie? There's this one comedy movie. It's like, I don't even know, man. Like, I don't even know. And he's like, landmark, street signs or whatnot. And it was a scary feeling, especially if you're a woman in a big city it's nighttime you get lost or something and I'm like oh gosh and here in Texas right now it's like the wild wild west like there's open carry there's all these crazy laws like there's shootings every day and I'm like are we in Chicago or are we in Texas have you always lived in Texas your whole life yeah uh, yeah uh, yeah I've been hearing a lot of stuff like kind of switching gears changing the subject a little bit but it seems like Austin's becoming like you know the next boom town yeah. of the century and you should move here because you're in tech. Austin is becoming the new Silicon Valley. And I love Austin. The property is a lot higher than Houston, but there's so much stuff to do, especially like if you're in fitness or mm-hmm. you like to ride bikes, like they have all these different bike trails, food trucks, like just amazing. And I've been like trying to tell my husband, Ooh, baby, Austin is popping. <laughs> like, no, it's, 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 it's fire. And just, you know, festivals like music festivals yeah and it's just i love their the culture i love you know like you said like you know it's starting to become big tech time and like a lot of big names are moving there like i think elon musk moved his tesco factory there or is the process doing that yeah he's in the process he's like bye-bye california because i think california was not agreeing with something so elon musk said oh going down to texas well a lot of people are getting the heck out of la nowadays and just I was planning on taking a trip there but this past June, but just things didn't work out my way just because I've never been there and just – I've had this theory that – not a theory in my head, but this – I guess you could say a dream that, you know, I, one day if I get pissed off at work or upset about something, I'm just going to pack up everything, just take the dogs, we'll move out west and just see what happens and just, you know, if we got to live out of the car and just start all over again, you know, and just see what happens. But, um, but yeah, Austin would definitely be a cool town or a cool city just to, I think, yeah. actually start in, so – Austin, Houston, Dallas. Houston people don't really get along with Dallas people. So Houston is like the Houston, Texas. Dallas is like the Dallas Cowboys. So they're a big rivalry. Then San Antonio is like the river walk. I've only been to San Antonio once, but I'm more like, I want to go to the places outside of the U.S. and then come back and do the U.S. Because I was like, I could always drive somewhere. And Texas is like, it takes so long to get out of Texas if you do a road trip. Like we drove from Texas to Colorado and the longest part was driving through Texas. Really? <laughs> yeah. I just always keep forgetting it's that big, but I guess that makes yeah. sense. But yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know. Maybe one day something will happen. I'll at least like to at least visit. I mean, what's the homeless situation like in Austin? Is it pretty rough? Do you know? <laughs> I hear in LA it's terrible. 
it didn't seem that bad in Austin. Like, but then I'm not like an Austin liver. Like I go there cause like some of our friends live there. So they take us to like different places or whatnot. And then I know the party streets, like whenever I went to UT to visit my friend, Sixth Street is like the big thing for UT Austin. Yeah, I've heard that. Um, and so that's kind of what I know. And, you know, in the younger days, you do you do all the cool, fun, wild stuff. And then whenever you get, you hashtag adult, you get tamed. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. Yeah, you get tamed. I mean, so so what are, you, what are you doing now? I mean, are you just writing or are you just like, I'm never going back to corporate America at all? Or are you still kind of? Well, if you ask my husband or my family, they think I should go back to corporate because I've gotten too comfortable at home, they say. But I do my podcast. I have my own podcast show called Gems. I am working on a book collaboration right now that I can't dispose of because it's not um, in that stage. So it would be my third book collaboration that I've done in a partnership. I have two books that I wrote out on the market. The first edition of my book, which is this one, and the second edition. Mm -hmm. The second edition, I went back and wrote um, 20. 2020 information to kind of talk about what happened after I stood up in the vice president of supply chains meeting, how I got a $20,000 salary increase within a week, how my salary, um, my classification level boosted. I coach clients on vision. Um, I'm a visionary life coach and I work on mindset hacks, especially after going through all the things I went through in my life. I found a lot of people were reaching out to me, asking me for different things. So I was giving away my services for free, but then I was like, Oh no, I have to eat too. I, this, this, house is not going to pay itself. So then I switched into, um, my paid coaching and I have a radio show that I do once a month. It's an internet radio. And I think that's really fun because I could talk about what I want to talk about, what I want to talk about, and just really focus on my pillars, which are to educate, inspire, and motivate. Cause there's so much knowledge out here that needs to be shared. A lot of people want to be inspired and people are looking for motivation, especially after seeing all this crap and junk on social media and the news, like that stuff is so negative and toxic and they're only going to put out what sells sex, drugs, violence, and all of that stuff. But what about the good stuff that people are actually doing? So I want to give people hope and tell them, hey, it, we're not at the end of the world. There's, if, As long as you're still breathing, you're still living. So I do a lot of work behind the scenes. I'm multifaceted and multidimensional, but I tell people don't freaking compartmentalize me. Yes, I'm a visionary life coach that does podcasting that that is an author. And I was like, I can do multiple things. So that's what I'm doing right now. Thinking about maybe going back to work, but not really sure. So right now I'm riding the coattails of my husband <laughs> while making my own money on the side. Cause I want to get my nails done. Mm-hmm. You fancy, huh? <laughs> I like it. I like it. You treat yourself a little bit. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's your money. I I like to work out. And so with this schedule, I can work out twice a week, like really go to my hit classes and Zumba and lift weights. And then the other days of the week, I can spend time with my mom, which is so important to me after my dad passed, like just really building a relationship with her. Yes. Her and my dad were married almost 30 years up until he passed. So they didn't make it to their 30th anniversary. And all this time I was just gravitated to my dad. Yes. I love my mom and I know my mom, but it was just, easier to talk to my dad I could talk to him about anything so just now I was like you know what tomorrow's not really promised but I want to live today like it's golden carpe diem <laughs> yeah, seize the fish right <laughs> 
was, no, see you today. See you today. Oh, no, that was a stupid joke. I, no, okay. Oh, are you a fisher? <laughs> no, but um, somebody said that one time, and I don't think they – I think it was in a movie, and they didn't really know what that meant. So they said, she's the fish? And they were like, what does that mean? But, yeah, so – Is that a comedy? Yeah, I thought it was a – What cool. movie? Uh, crap, why'd you ask me that? Out Cold, I think, is what it was called. I think it has Zach Galifianakis, if you know who he is. He's a comedian. Uh-oh, I haven't seen that, it's but I, I'm a big comedy lover, so I want to look yeah. him up, see if he's coming to a comedy club, because I, hands down, love to go to comedy clubs. <laughs> well, all right, I, I want to get into that. We'll talk about comedy here in a minute. We'll talk about that. But um, So I want, I want you to explain what a, exactly what a visionary life coach is, just because I have no clue. So talk to me like I'm five and explain to me what that is. Okay, so I'm going to act like as if you were one of my clients. Okay. So Chris... What are some of your pain, your pain points and your struggles right now? Are you living the life that you want and what do you envision? So number one, what are, what is your pain point and what is your struggle? My pain point and my struggle. Uh, I hope this answers your question. So a lot of times I get in, I don't want to say a rut, but I get into these, I don't want a remove, but you know, I feel like if I'm not moving forward or doing something productive or, you know, I'm like in a standstill with something that I'm, you know, I'm not moving forward I'm, and it weighs down on me that I'm not doing – like when I was talking about earlier, try, I was so afraid of being a loser in life that that's the reason, the reason I went and got my master's. So I think that's one of my biggest pain points is that trying to get out of my bubble and move into something bigger and just keep growing because I feel like if I'm not growing or doing something that's moving forward, then I'm – I guess, like, for better word, I'm a loser again. So Okay, so we're building. Let's stay there. Okay. So you feel like if you're not growing, if you're not doing something, then you feel like you're reverting back to your younger self where you told yourself, I don't want to be a loser. But where did that stem from? Was it stemmed from the pressures of external factors like your mom, your dad, your older brother, mm -hmm. your friends? Did you look at what they were doing and try to compare it to where you are? Yeah, so, you know, comparison's a thief of joy, and I actually learned that recently. But at that time, you know, going through college and stuff, yeah, like, for some reason, I guess it was always imprinted on me that to be successful, yeah, go to college, do what you get a degree, you'll start making money, which is not mm -hmm. always the case. But yeah, so I've had family members who've done very well for themselves. And if I wasn't doing maybe something the exact same way they have done it, for example, then, like I was telling you earlier, my uncle was like, "You need to go do this just to, you know, make more money. Who cares what? Who cares what it is as long as you're making money?" It's like, "Well, it's not. It doesn't work that way, dude. You know, my, yeah. I don't want, you know, wake up and just go to a job I hate, like we talked about earlier in this conversation." So, so, so you feel like internally, if you're not traveling at a same wavelength that is conducive to what the people you love are saying that you feel like you're not good enough. So is that the underlying theme and the root cause, the RCA? Uh, that was the first part of it. Yeah. I mean, that's what I would say. I finally just kind of let go of all that. Okay. But, but initially, yeah, that was the biggest hard factor just because I would hear about it constantly. Then I was like, okay, I guess they're right. I suck at life, you know? So when did you let go of it? Because we're looking at where you were and we're getting the vision of when you cut the ties. Is this making sense? Yeah, it is. So This I is a part of being a visionary because you have to go through the, the steps and you have to understand the root and the underlying cause. If you don't understand the root, the underlying cause, then you're never really going to unpack and build. So when did you cut 
cut ties and say, you know what? I don't care what they're saying. Like, that's not my life. That's their life. And I'm going to do what makes Chris happy. So I think to answer that question, it would probably be when I actually probably got my first full-time job and I actually started making money. And even though it was just, you know, I wasn't getting rich by any means, you're still not getting rich, but I was like, okay, I can actually make money at my job and I'm be happy. And I can also do other things on the side. Like, you know, CrossFit brings me a lot of joy just because, you know, for, you know, it's a big part of my social life just because I'm down at the box or art, we call it a box five <laughs> to six days a week working out. And I've met some of the best. Oh, wow. people. Yeah. And I met some of the best people I know in my, or found the best people I know, um, through that. Just for example, uh, one guy I work out with, we train together. Um, I was, you know, a groomsman at his wedding. I didn't even know him before CrossFit. So I, it's built a great friendship. And so I think just by knowing that and knowing that, hey, I'm happy here and I'm making money, I'm still living my life. And I knew that, hey, it just, it might not be their way of doing it, but I found what Chris Sheeler likes and it's good. You know, I don't mm-hmm. have to have the nicest things in the world, but I'm not, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. And, you know, I'm able to come home and live relatively a stress-free life and even start this podcast and, you know, put my energy into other things and not have to weigh myself down. So you, you cut the ties, you took away the external factors that were being projected onto you. You found who Chris was at the core. You're not living paycheck to paycheck. You're not, you're not rich. You're not driving, you know, that luxury dream car yet, but you are living a comfortable lifestyle. You still have the ability to go do CrossFit and have social interactions with people who like to do the same things that you like to do. So that is your vision right now. And that is what is making you happy. And then as you think about your future, what does your, what does your future look like? Because in life we do have to make some type of plans and those goals, but if you don't put a date on those goals. It's just a wish, right? Mm -hmm. So this is all about formulating your vision. And the reason why I say visionary life coach is because sometimes if you don't know what your vision is, you're going to fall victim to what somebody else's vision is and try to adopt that. When in actuality, you're not a carbon copy, Chris, you are uniquely Chris and you were created for a reason, created for a purpose. So once you know what your vision is, don't ever let somebody take that away because a vision was placed inside of you, not inside of them. And sometimes people are not always going to see your vision because they don't understand it. And that's okay. Yeah, that's definitely okay. Yeah, that t- that takes a lot for someone to accept. I mean, I, it took me a while to accept that. And you have to do the work. Like, and doing working with clients and talking about visionary, you have to put in the work just as much as I'm pouring into you, Chris. Mm-hmm. You have to pour back into into yourself so you can begin to nurture it. So if you're thinking about your future, what's, what's in store for Chris? Like, what do you want to accomplish? What are some of your goals? So this has always stuck with me. So one uh, I don't know if it's a quote or a statement or whatever you want to call it, but one of the biggest, coolest things I've ever heard in my life, and I thought it just set well with my lifestyle and and me, was that um, whenever you walk into a restaurant, just you don't never have to worry about how much it's going to cost. You know, and everything everything else in life is just bullshit. So, <laughs> so and, and it just made sense to me that, okay, if I was with a group of friends or just with me and, you know, a date or another friend or whoever, it was just like, go to a fancy restaurant. Who cares what it costs? I mean, it's just food, you know, and it's just like, and that's where a lot of, you know, <laughs> there's a, like one of my love languages is quality time. 
Well, that's probably the, uh, that's yes, that's I love that. That's my number one. And just, you know, I always feel like a rut with meals and conversations like these that that's spending quality time just sitting down, getting to know somebody, just in breaking bread with them. And yeah, so that was like, that was probably my the future that I would let's be financially free just to eat, you know, be able to do something like that. Just here's my card, go run it. Don't even look at the bill, you know, tip yourself, whatever. If you just trip digits, yeah. you know, and then at one time, one of the coolest things. That ever happened? Well, I don't know if it's one of the coolest things, but something great that happened to me. I was in a restaurant on a date one time, and somebody bought our meal. And I never, I'll never know who it was, but it was, you know, it wasn't a cheap meal, but it was just like, man, you know, I wanted to repay that favor. That was just so cool that even though it was something so small, but it just felt, you know, I just, I don't know what the word I'm looking for. I just felt so great, gracious for it or grateful for it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so they paid it forward. So you could have did that. You could have just say, hey, just pick out any random couple couple in the restaurant and say hey i want to buy their meal and don't like and then just tell the waiter hey i'm buying their meal well that's like one of my biggest plans is that you know every time you know if i ever get to like like unlimited bank account number that it's just like okay i can yeah who cares all my bills are paid i'll just go ahead and get that one this get their meal this time and i always just thought that would be a cool goal or a cool vision for i guess a vision or vision goal for myself that is so then you could create a vision board whether it is an electronic one in canva whether it's one that you take your time if you if you're an artsy and crafty guy just cut Mm. things out and put it no No. so are you like more like electronics you like seeing stuff yeah that that would be better for me i'm not artsy or crafty or are you a sticky note guy uh I put the note. I put them in my phone on the on the notes app. I guess. So okay, you can use the notes. Oh, I use the notes app too. You can use the notes app, and then you could put a date next to it. And then whenever you put the date next to it, put it in your calendar, and then it'll pop up in your calendar as a reminder and say, "Hey, by this date, I want to achieve this." Because then it gives you something to work towards. It gives you something to build towards. So, like for example, if you have student loans, say by December twenty twenty two, I want to be done with this student loans once you check that off take that money that you were spending for those student loans and diversify it and allocate it to something else then you're chipping away at your debt to become financially free so you can live the life that you desire not the life that anyone has curated for you so when you're when you're working with people have you ever met somebody who just you know when you ask them those questions they just had no goals set in their mind or had no futures that they wanted in their life, I guess. They were just almost terrible to work with, I guess. I mean, they're, yeah. And then we just have to figure out like, why, why do they feel that way? That's what I have to understand. And I have to do like a mind mapping, like a fun session. Like we get a piece of notepad. Like I love colors. So like, and sticky notes, I have sticky notes all around me. So like, imagine if this was blank with nothing on it, then I'm like, okay, let's just start writing words on a blank page. Anything that comes to your mind, write it down. So we're having a mind mapping session. And then whenever they're done, I'll set a timer. And whenever I say stop, We'll stop and we'll both look at the words and I'll tell them, call out those words to me. What what did you write down? Then as they're calling out the things, I want them to connect with their emotions and their feelings. Why did you write down what you wrote down? How is that tied to your feelings and your emotional? So I could see what type of mental space are they in? Because if I don't know what type of mental space they're in, then I'm not going to know how to unblock and hack those mindsets. That makes sense. I mean... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it seems like that would work 100%. I mean, especially for me, but I just, you know, 
I don't know where I'm going with that statement, but just do you ever? I mean, do you just ever have people who just they just exact they can't even do that part though. They just like they just have no hope almost, and that yeah, because life has beaten them down for a long period. They're just very closed off or whatnot. And like one of my goals is to like just get a storefront because right now I do it all virtually, so I can work with people all over the world. And I really want to just get kind of a couch or like some bean bags because I love bean bags. Like you know the bean bags that have like AirPods in them, and you could kind of like the gaming heat bean bags and just like oh, yeah. throw yourself in the bean bag. Like let's just free fall it and just kind of sit there and be one with your thoughts and then I want them to be as comfortable as they are because when they're comfortable and they're in their element they're going to open up to you but if they feel like you're trying to attack them they feel like you're trying to you know pick at them or like just jab a knife or they're not going to be open to talking to you about it because they already feel like you're going to ask some questions. So their guard is going to go up, but if they're relaxed and on a bean bag, just chilling, like drinking a smoothie or a bobo tea or some wine or something or something that they like to do. And I can mirror where they're at, then I'm going to get more out of them. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. Just when I'm, you know, even when doing podcasts in person, it's completely different compared to doing it over, over zoom. But I mean, it works in zoom, but yeah, just, I've noticed myself like, if you know we were doing this in person, like I feel like I would be more, like I would have more body language, be more comfortable with you, and just you know it'd be a wholly different vibe. I mean, and and but you do that electronically, yeah, yeah, you can, but it's just like when you're in person, though, it's just a di- it's yeah. different. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, so that's cool. I mean, was that just something that you've just always wanted to do, just because it helped you, and that's how you you kind of got into it? Is being a visual so- coach or? <laughs> insider tip so for two years when I first went to college like when my parents forced me because I really didn't want to go to college I actually I went to acting school so my dad paid for me to go to acting school then I got selected for IMTA LA which was the biggest thing because it's the international model talent agency I'm like oh my gosh I could be like on the screens like I love Tyler Perry I like I love Rosie Perez and J-Lo and Matthew McConaughey I was like oh man that man is sexy but anywho (laughs) Yeah. And whenever I got selected, they um, told me, oh, it's five grand. And my dad's like, oh, no, we're not paying five grand for you to go to L.A. If they want you that bad, they will pay for you to go to L.A. So then my mom is like very conservative, like Christian Caribbean woman. She's like, oh, no, you're going to go to college. Like if you live in this house, you're going to do something job or college so then I went to college I didn't really know what I wanted to do so I was a psychology major for two years and I have two older brothers and two older sisters but my brothers are very into school Uh, well the oldest one is he's like if he could be a professional student while work he probably would do that because he's just super smart um and he's like you're not going to make any money like being a psychology major and i'm like i love psychology it's so cool i get to think about people da, da, da. so like now that i'm a visionary life coach spending two years in psychology actually helped me because one i love talking to people uh, as much as i love kids but don't have any on, on my own so i'm on renekid.com rent people's kids and give them back <laughs> <laughs> okay and it's just helpful because i think about being a psychology major for two years all that money down the drain working dealing with southern corporate america toxic work um 
work environment, going through life, going through depression, all of that stuff has built me up to be in a visionary life coach. And people just confide to me sometimes. And I'm like, man, this is just a piece of piece of cakewalk. And then I'm like giving out advice. They're like, oh my gosh, that really helped me. I didn't think about that. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I just thought like I saw the silver lining on the wall. So you so you wanted to be an actress. Yes. I still kind of want to go to LA and just be like Pytree <laughs> or Atlanta. I, I want to go to Atlanta. I've never been there, but I love like reality TV shows sometimes, oh, but like I've scaled them down because somebody over there is like, stop being into that, that nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, some of some of the, I don't get into it much, but some of those shows are just, it's just good to kind of turn off your mind and just sit and watch yeah. them and, just have a good time with it. You know, I, I find myself doing that with you know, like shows like Family Guy and stuff like oh, that. Oh, yes. Uh, mommy, mommy, mom. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, just it, it's just nice. Just, to, you know, you, you don't have to worry about anything. You just get a good laugh out of it and just, like I said, turn off your mind, relax for whatever, 30 minutes, an hour. So, um, And I love movies. I can binge watch movies and then just recite them like the back of my hand. Comedies. <laughs> oh, yeah, we didn't talk about comedies. Yeah. <laughs> Who's your favorite comedian? Um, so I usually I, I go into a circle right now between Tom Segura, uh, Theo Vaughn. Uh, Dang, I don't know any of these. Oh, people. you don't know? Uh, okay, I, I do like Kevin Hart stuff. Um, oh, I've seen him live before, but the, my brother had me like nosebleed. Did you not check where the seats were, dude? I was high up. I was like, damn, I can't see crap. I need to get some binoculars. But go ahead. Uh, no, yeah. So uh, you know, Joe Rogan's a good one. Oh, I like. Yeah. I listen to his podcast, like his comedy. Um, those are probably the, some of the main ones I go with. Gary Owen, do you like him? He's okay. Yeah, I've never yeah. watched a lot of his stuff, but I've, from what I've, I think he's been on Joe Rogan a couple of times, and he seems like a cool guy. But Cat Cat Williams. I got into him uh, way back in the day. Uh, I think the last first one I saw was it's Pimpin Pimpin. Oh yeah, Pimpin Pimpin. <laughs> That's when I got into Cat Williams, but I, and he's really good. But I don't think I've seen anything much from him lately. He's coming, um, he's doing a tour, he's coming to Houston, but the tickets are kind of high. Like, all the cheap tickets are gone, so the other ones are expensive. Of course. D.L. Ugly. Uh, I remember him yeah. on, I, I haven't watched him in anything in a while, though, but I remember him in original Kings of Comedy. Yeah. Oh, I saw the Kings of Comedy whenever they came here. Um, it, it was after Eddie Murphy's brother had died, Charlie Murphy, yeah. so they, um, they fit in someone else, so it was like, Cedric the Entertainer, yeah. D.L. Ugly. Uh, there was, oh, George Lopez. He was hilarious. Yeah. George Lopez. Um, and there was, there was another person. Dang it. There was like two other people and it was like hilarious. Yeah. Uh, who, who, I can't, who's the guy that does Family Feud now? Uh, Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey. Wasn't he on there? I think Steve Harvey was there. And then uh, the other one that died. Now I can't think of his name. He's passed. Bernie Mac. Bernie Mac. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. We didn't see him live, uh, but I I used to love the Bernie Mac show. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. I just watched uh, Dave Chappelle's new stand up on Netflix. I have to finish it. Thank you for reminding me. We got halfway in, but we didn't finish it because we were watching it in Austin. <laughs> no, it, it's good. I, I enjoyed it. Um, he talks on a lot of. You know, tough for me. It'd be a tough topic to talk on, and he does it. You know, with a you know a great sense of humor obviously and he's just very very open about it but i think now he's getting attacked by 
some of the Netflix employees. So oh, really? he talked about like the the baby, the rapper. He said something about like homosexuals, and I was like, "What did he say?" And then people are like, "And I'm like, yeah. I don't know what he said." Yeah, he he said something about how the baby actually killed somebody in Walmart, and for I saw that part, and then something about yeah, he called out like yeah, he, homosexuals or yeah, something. He made a statement about homosexuals, and now everybody was like, you know, eating them up, I guess, on Twitter and social media for that, and. Dave Chappelle was like, oh, so you can kill somebody, but you can't make a statement. <laughs> so he's like, okay, we see how it is. So. And I was shocked because I was like, I didn't know he killed somebody in Walmart. Like, that was news to me. I didn't hear that either. And apparently, he, I think Dave said it was in Greensboro, which is still maybe a couple hours from me so in North Carolina. So I was like, dang, how come I never heard about that? So, yeah. Oh, man. But it's good, though. Um, I liked what he said in it. So I don't know if, if people – comment on me and get mad at me for saying that but i enjoyed it so now and i and i like what he was saying he didn't say people have to no go ahead no i was just saying that you know i agree with what he was saying even though some people might like like me saying that i agree with him but you Mm -hmm. know because he was attacked for talking about you know transgender people i hope i use that term correctly but and that's kind of what the basis of like towards the end of his special uh was about just how he was getting attacked by that community so yeah. I feel like people know comedians they're they're gonna do acts that are funny like they're gonna talk about pre- the president they're gonna talk about diversity equity and inclusion he talked about the me too movement and you know he's like if I was a leader of the of the me too movement I would have did this or whatnot and he talks about different things like sometimes people like need to hear like real topics but in a humor way and you just can't take everything like so literal or whatnot and i'm like we have to be able to have these courageous conversations like i had a conversation with like one of the guys who's now my friend he's a white guy or whatnot and we just went back and forth and talked about diversity equity and inclusion and i could see a lot of things from his point of view and then once i started sharing he could see it from my point of view and i was like well i have like you know white people white people in my family like my ex-brother-in-law is white and him and i would have these slap slap out boxes or whatnot but i still love him he you know if it was if it was no him there would be no caleb and callie my nieces and nephews won't wouldn't be here yeah. And I'm like, so you could disagree, but still be respectful. You could disagree, but still get your point across and, you know, help tell somebody like, I don't agree with you based on this, but this is how I see it. And then have those courageous conversations, because if we tiptoe on marble floors, we're never going to get anywhere. We're only regressing instead of progressing. And that's what society wants us to do. They want us to be divided about race. They want us to be divided about um, politics. They want us to be divided between unvaccinated and vaccinated. And you know what? You can't help who you like as long as that person treats you for a human being. Then so be. And I told my husband, like, when we first met, well, my husband's black. He's black American. I was like, before, before I met you, I used to date Mexicans or white boys because, you know, I had a complex. But, you know, they treated me right. My parents don't care who you bring home as as long as they love you and that's what it was and then you know I had given up hope on men for a little bit and because I was like man they're not about nothing and uh, I was like I'm an independent woman I make my own money Mm. (laughs) 
And then like, you know, when I met my husband, I, I, I tell the story, he'll tell it sometimes. I was like, you weren't my guy on paper. I had like a list of things. I was like, you were not my guy on paper, but I guess God gives you what you, what you need and not what you want. Because I was like, oh, I want him to be in the same socioeconomic status. I want him to, you know, be able to do this. I want him to look this way. Like, oh, some green eyes or just a superficial thing, like whatever. And I'm like, he is not my guy, but, but I love, love my husband. Well, you got to have standards. Everyone's got to have some type of standards, right? So. Oh, it was awful. I read Steve Harvey's book, Think Like a Lady, Act Like a Man. And I was taking notes. I was like, I don't want to be a turp turp girl. I don't want to be a sports fan. Like, I don't want to be a girl that he can't bring home to mom. Like, I was literally reading that book and my husband's like, when he first, oh, no, you're too much. You're too much. Like, he was like, I, he told his family she was bossy, like, and I'm like, I had to be that way. I work with males. I had to command respect. <laughs> I never read the book, but when that movie came out, I thought it was a great movie. I, I still watch it to this day. I enjoy it. Me too. Uh, what do you like? One or two? Uh, I don't remember two so much, but I remember one. I, I remember watching two, but one definitely. Just I don't yeah. know, a lot of that. A lot of the stuff spoke to me, and uh, I guess I resonated with it a lot. But I don't. I don't remember a lot about two. To be honest with you, maybe I need to go back more and watch that one. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I definitely like number one for sure. I went and saw it in theaters and just even the soundtrack I was getting down in there, I just remember, mm, okay. Good movie. I mean, who cares what the rest of it's about? So And then have you seen the movie Hustlers with the girls where it was like Cardi B and uh, J Lo? I never watched that one. I remember I remember seeing it, but I never I never sat down and watched that one. It's like a chick flick, but once you understand it, it's like they flip the script on men because like men are always like trying to take advantage of some women and then the women start taking advantage of the men. They're like, men do it all the time. They do it all the time. So when we do it, why is it a problem? <laughs> well, I mean that's kind of what, you know, I guess the cultural narrative is that yeah, when you reverse the reverse the table i guess yeah it is a problem nobody likes it that way but um but i i don't know i don't see a problem with it i guess but it'd be done on both parties i mean i don't know who cares right yeah so uh genesis we did over an hour and i know uh i don't want to keep you uh keep you anymore i know you said you got to go get your grub in so you just especially just from working out so i know how important that is so uh yes so before we get off here um if you want to tell everybody how they find you on on the line and the internets and <laughs> and where they get your book at, uh, go ahead and let everybody know if you want to, or don't let me tell you what to do if you don't want to. Sure, I'll tell. Them. <laughs> okay. Hey everyone, <laughs> I'm Genesis Amaris Kemp. Once again, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram at Genesis Amaris Kemp. If you're on the clubhouse, walking through clubhouse streets, you can find me at Genesis A Kemp. The name of my book is Chocolate Drop in Corporate America. From the pit to the palace. Don't let the name fool you. I'm here for everybody. And I definitely want to bridge the gap whenever diversity, equity, and inclusion. But let's not forget about equality because it definitely takes all of us coming together. There's a more than enough room for us all to have a seat at the table. And if you don't feel like you have a seat at the table, create your own freaking table, pull up your own seat. And if you want to connect with me, send me an email. My email is Genesis. That's G-E-N-E-S-I-S, Amaris, A-M-A-R-I-S, Kemp, K-E-M-P, like Courtney Kemp from power at gmail.com. I am an open book. I want to help you. I'm a visionary life coach, motivational speaker, author, and all those good stuff. Multifaceted, but don't compartmentalize me. Love it. 
I love it. All right. Well, we'll end it on that note. So, uh, yep. Go create your own table, folks. And uh, we're out of here. Good night. Hopefully this is the last time you hear this ad, because with Chime Checking Account, features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts. Or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals24. That's chime.com goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com slash disclosures for details.